All right, uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew tonight, chapter 3. And uh, if you have a paperback near you and you want to use that, that's, that's for you. Uh, we're going to be on page 660. If you want to turn and be able to follow along yourself, that's why we've got those there. I, I use one too because I need page, page numbers like anybody else. Matthew chapter 3. Verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for Him. Let's pray again. God, I do pray that uh, You would be at work in the midst of this time of dialogue and reflection on the Scriptures. God, would You give us eyes to, to see the story of Scripture anew, to see ourselves in that story, to see Jesus in that story in a new way. God, would you, would you uh, give me the gift of, of, of teaching and encouragement in this time? And uh, would you just give us all wisdom and discernment as we listen for your voice, as we look for your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen. So this crazy wild man, John, shows up in the desert east of Jerusalem across the Jordan River, and he preaches a revival meeting about the kingdom of heaven, of all things. And the people of Israel, the Jewish people at that time, flock to him like he's a superstar. Uh, they, they show up in droves to, to be dipped in water and to confess their sins. I mean... What, what elicited this response? What, what made John so popular? What about the kingdom of heaven was such that people would go to John like this as they did? Why was he so wildly popular? I think Matthew gives us a hint in this text that we just read. He describes John through the lens of an Israelite prophet, Isaiah. And he points to part of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 40 verse 3 this is in Matthew 3 a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him Matthew is describing John the Baptist in terms of Isaiah and this little snippet this little sound bite from Isaiah clues us in that John is preparing people for God to show up God was coming to visit, and the people of Israel needed to prepare for him to come. But that begs the question, where, where did God go that he had to come back? Uh, what vacation did he go on that he was absent and had to be prepared for to come back again? Readers of Matthew's gospel, they would have known the broader context of that chapter in Isaiah that Matthew was quoting in which is our clue about where God went. So let's turn to Isaiah, to another story 
in another time on page 492, if you're following along. And let me read the broader context of this little snippet that John the Baptist quotes that makes him so wildly popular. Comfort, comfort my people, says Isaiah 41 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This text describes the story of Israel in exile because because of Israel's unfaithfulness to God, their land, their people were ransacked by foreign kings, once by the king of Assyria and once by the king of Babylon. The king of Assyria carried off the northern kingdom of Israel and made them live in his country as slaves in the 8th century B.C., The king of Babylon carried off the southern kingdom of Israel and made them live in his country as slaves in the 6th century B.C. And Isaiah 40 describes the process by which God would deliver a remnant of this people Israel from Babylonian captivity. The time had come for them to come home and God was coming to rescue them on a highway of all things. Isaiah 40 also has echoes of another very famous story for Israel. Perhaps the most pivotal story for all of Israel's history. The Exodus. Hundreds of years before Isaiah, the people of Israel were enslaved by another foreign king. The Pharaoh of Egypt. God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh to release the people of Israel from their bondage. And he relented only after a series of devastating plagues that ruined his land. And he let Moses, he pushed the people away. He let Moses, took them away long enough for them to be far enough away for him to change his mind, to feel like he could chase after them and catch up with them and capture them once again to use them for his building projects. But as they were pursuing the Israelite people, his his army was chasing them. God split the Red Sea. Israel goes through on a a straight path. And Pharaoh's army was swallowed up behind them as they attempted to capture Israel. Exodus 14 and 15 recounts the story of the Exodus, if you want to look it up. Israel, after this great Exodus or exit from Egyptian slavery, went to Mount Sinai. They met with God. They formed a covenant They got the law. They got the Ten Commandments. This is the place in the Exodus where they became the people of God. And it's called the Exodus again because it's when God delivered Israel so that they could make their exit out of that hard time. And so here we are in Isaiah 40, which describes another Exodus, an Exodus out of Babylon, an exit from the troubles of Israel. Why in the world would Matthew, several hundred years later, 
use a text about the exile and the exodus to describe John the Baptist? What did Israel's exile and release in 538 B.C. have to do with John in 28 A.D.? What did the exodus in the 15th or 16th century B.C. have to do with God's people in the 1st century A.D.? Simply this. The Jewish people in their day, in John the Baptist's day, believed that the exile story was their story. They believed that the exodus story was their story because it wasn't long after they returned home from exile to Palestine that they came under the rule of yet another foreign power, Rome. Rome took charge of them. They conquered their land. They set up rulers. They collected taxes. They forced themselves on the Jewish people in the same way Pharaoh did, in the same way Nebuchadnezzar did. Israel in the first century A.D. was in exile in its own land. And it had come to believe that once again they were in exile because of their unfaithfulness to God, because they had sinned against God, because of their brokenness in relationship to God. And Israel's only hope was that one day God would show up again and forgive their sins and deliver them from the oppression of a foreign king. Once again, and show himself to be the true king of the whole world. In the words of Isaiah, because of Israel's brokenness and sin, its relationship with God was like a crooked road through the desert mountains. It was filled with potholes and drop-offs. It had hundreds of switchbacks and steep slopes. It was hot and dry with no water to drink along the way, so much so that it would have taken forever for Israel to traverse through the mountains to get to God. Israel would run out of energy. They would fall off a cliff. They would die of heat exhaustion or something. The road was just too treacherous for Israel to take out of Roman captivity. And maybe you can identify with that feeling. It seems like a long, hard road out of our own problems. We're tired and we feel like we're running the rat race. We wonder when we'll ever get a job in this economy. We wonder if God will ever forgive us for the things that we've done. We wonder if we'll ever be able to figure out what in the world to do with our lives. We wonder if it's possible for us to experience our own exodus out of our own exile but the journey seems like a crooked road through a desert mountain how can we bypass the mountains how can we find a straight flat road that we can take out of our brokenness given the background of israel's exodus and exile it makes sense why john was wildly popular why hundreds and perhaps thousands of jews flocked To hear his message. Because when John said. The kingdom of heaven is near. Everyone heard. God is going to show up again. And forgive Israel's sins. Deliver them from the Roman oppression. That beats them down. And show himself. Once again. To be the true king. Of the whole world. 
just like he did with Pharaoh and Egypt in the Exodus, just like he did with Nebuchadnezzar and Babylonia in the exile, God is coming again to us. For John the Baptist and for Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God, was associated singularly with one person, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one anointed by God to bring the kingdom near to Israel and the whole world. John speaks later in this text, Matthew, that we're in about how Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. You get the sense that John is expecting this great militant political leader to come and overcome the Romans. Jesus comes on the scene in chapter 3, verse 13, and he's baptized. He's anointed. Messiah means anointed one. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. So God confirms this special relationship he has to Jesus, calling him his beloved son. And when Jesus begins his ministry in chapter 4, Matthew tells us in chapter 4, verse 17, on 661, that his message was the exact same as John's. The kingdom of heaven has come near. What is this guy after? What are his aims? What are, what are his goals? What is his end? You know, in fact, in all of the Gospels, this is by far Jesus' most popular topic of conversation. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. Jesus addresses this topic more than 150 times in the Gospels. It's the heart of his message. It's, it is his message. The good news of the kingdom of God. And yet it's so often misunderstood or, maybe worse, it's just completely ignored. Now, given Israel's expectations about being delivered from this Roman exile, it's no surprise that many thought that Jesus would come as some military leader who would stamp out the Roman Empire. But we'll come to discover as we journey through the story that he wasn't a military leader of sorts. He he wasn't a political revolutionary akin to, to several bandits and zealots that roamed the first century. But he did certainly call into question the Roman and Jewish powers of the day. Jesus took this very popular, even mysterious for us, term, kingdom of heaven, and he filled it with a whole new world of meaning. He imagined through this phrase, through this idea, through this concept of kingdom of God, he imagined the world in which God was the king, in which God was the ruler. And he imagined it in a way that was very different than anyone on the scene in the day would have, even John the Baptist, who was his forerunner. What was the kingdom of heaven for Jesus? What does a world ruled by God look like? For Jesus, where is the straight path to God out of our problems? Those are the questions that we'll be seeking answers to for the next three months in our house church gatherings and conversations. And I'd just like to extend a special invitation for you to join us on this journey as we 
try to figure out a little bit about Jesus and what he was all about and the world that he imagined and envisioned, what that world was all about. For the next 12 weeks, we're going to explore stories of the kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew as a way of living into the world that was imagined by Jesus. Stories of commitment and sacrifice and forgiveness and many others that make up the character of this new world, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus introduced through his life and teachings. For Matthew, the straight path to God out of the world's problems is found in the way of following Jesus. And I want to invite you to explore that path, that way of following Jesus in a fresh way. Feel free to start reading Matthew in the next couple of months as a way of anticipating and preparing for conversations we'll have. And I have no no doubt that if you give yourself to, to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew that you won't come away from it unaffected. Let me assure you, this, this kingdom of Jesus is not some otherworldly, ephemeral place of bliss that we're all waiting to get into someday. Uh, it's not a world that is removed from this world. It's a world that Jesus, by the very virtue of his presence, initiates and inaugurates in our world. It is social. It challenges the political structures of our day. It is physical. We see Jesus meeting the needs of people in the community, miraculous, miraculously healing them even. It is, it is theological. Jesus introduces us to God in ways that we would never imagine. It is, it is spiritual. It is all of these things. It's very earthly and very here and now. It's something that breaks in to our world, to our kingdoms, to this kingdom in the here and now. And it's something that challenges us and confronts us to participate in. The first step onto the straight path, the first step into the kingdom of heaven, according to John the Baptist and Jesus, is this word repentance. Kind of a religious, churchy word, I know. Uh, Basically, it means to turn. Literally, it means to change your mind. And Jesus said that because God's rule, because the kingdom of heaven has come near, the way to prepare for it is to turn away from other kingdoms, to turn away from your own kingdom, from, to turn away from my kingdom, to turn away from the Romes of the day and to turn toward God. Stop thinking the way the rest of the world thinks and change your mind to start thinking as if God were king of the whole world. Take yourself or whoever off the throne in your life and let God have that spot and become king. That's what repent means. Repentance is a way of changing your entire orientation about life, given the fact that God is king in the world. Repentance is the entrance ramp, if you will. We're looking for that straight path. How do we get there? Repentance is the entrance ramp by which we enter the straight path to God. And none of this is desirable. None of this talk about Jesus or the kingdom of heaven or the gospel of Matthew is desirable or even makes sense unless one thing is true. God is king. 
For there to be a kingdom of heaven, there has to be a king of heaven. God really does rule. God really made the world. God really can deliver us from the mess that we find ourselves in. God's kingdom rule really has come near in Jesus. God is king. God is king. And that really calls us to turn, to change our minds, to live in that new reality. I can't help but to think of what happened about a year ago from now. Our friend Lowell started to take Jesus seriously in a new way and started to think about the kingdom of heaven in a new way. And about this time last year, Lowell made the decision to follow Jesus and to be baptized. He, in his words, he wanted to be baptized because Jesus was baptized right here in Matthew chapter 3. And uh, I remember Lowell at his baptism ceremony uh, saying uh, about this green book that he had with him, the Merck Index, uh, this chemistry book that for, for such a long time he'd used to make and sell drugs to other people, that he was, he was going to throw that in the trash because of the kingdom of heaven. He was going to turn from that and walk into the waters of baptism walk on to the straight path of following Jesus because God was the king of the world. That was a powerful day. Lowell is a powerful witness to all of us of what it looks like when we begin to take seriously the fact that God is king and that the kingdom of heaven has broken into our world through Jesus. That's what it looks like. People begin to change their lives. It's not a, it's not a religious, spiritual decision that we make. It's a very here and now, the rest of my life changes kind of decision. And I saw that in a really neat way in Lowell. God is king in Lowell's life. I'd like to just have a, a time of reflection just for a, a couple of minutes, just to evaluate kind of where you are with God, where you are with Jesus. And spend some time in this silence just to offer yourself to God. You may choose as Jesus requests you to, to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You may choose to, to make a decision to turn in whatever way, in whatever shape that it looks like, to, to reorient yourself toward the kingship of God in this world, to give up your own kingdom, to give up your own rule for the rule of God, to offer yourself to God to explore the way of following Jesus in this next three months. Then after a bit of reflection, Ryan and crew will uh, lead us into further worship, further repentance through music and communion. So let me say a brief prayer. Let's just spend some time with God. God, I, I really am uh, intrigued by Jesus. And I feel like half the time I, I am not getting how radical Jesus is. And I, I'm not getting the depths of what, what it means for the kingdom of heaven to break in to my world, to this world. What it means for me to repent and turn to go the other way. God, we, we just we want to surrender ourselves to you in this moment.
and just have honest conversations with you about where we're at. God, we want to follow Jesus in new ways, and we want to follow Jesus down paths that, that we may never have journeyed down thus far. God, I just pray for your continued work in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit be active in our hearts as we just spend this time with you thinking about uh, what repentance looks like for us.